And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Lucha of the Hidden Temple. My name is Dr. Nove, and this is your VoicesOfWrestling.com Lucha Underground Review for the weeks of April 29th and May 6th, 2015. Since last we convened, I had my second paying gig, which is good. The band is getting steady work, and I'm really having to manage that side of things, and it, supplemental income is nice, needless to say. I also had a staph infection, which has sucked, and kind of put me down for a few more days than I would have liked. Antibiotics and me don't get along. I, I don't know who, like, loves antibiotics, but I certainly do not like antibiotics. I don't respond well to them. I get really loopy. It's not fun. Staff isn't fun either, and I've had a little too much staff in my life for a guy under 30. I've had that MRSA, and it appears that I'm fairly vulnerable to it, so... That sucks, but enough of that. Let's get into our April 29th episode of Lucha of the Hidden Temple. So we're going to begin with Dario Cueto, and he is explaining to the crew what a layup is. And Now, Dario doesn't quite know what a layup is, because at no point did I hear underhanded toss into the basket, but I think he's referring more to the metaphorical layup, which the crew has duffed in our last episode that we talked about when the team of... Son of Havoc, Angelico, and Ivelisse won the Tag Team Championships, and the crew were there to back cleanup after Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico went through the ringer facing those other three teams, or those other two teams, and they faced three teams in one night. And you get what I'm trying to say. Point being, Dario Cueto not pleased with this, and he introduces the crew to none other than his brother, which is something we find out for the first time this week, Matanza. So that's exciting, and Dario tells the crew if they screw up again, they're going to go one-on-one, or I guess three-on-one, against Matanza, and I don't like their odds. They look a little long. So our show opens up this week, and normally I'm really excited about the way Lucha Underground opens up with a good-spirited opening match. And this match isn't bad, but this match is of no import and is six minutes. It's Phoenix versus Killshot. This is a very skippable match if you were trying to play catch-up, which I assume some of you are using this review to do. I talked to, actually, a lot of my friends who love Lucha Underground, but are always a couple of episodes behind. I'm like that with the New Japan on Access. I love New Japan. It's just, 
I sort of save those up for when I'm working out and I can go on a big binge of New Japan. So let's say you're using this review to determine if you're going to watch this match or if you're going to skip ahead. This is a pretty skippable match. I'll give you the broad strokes here. Killshot comes out. He's going up against Phoenix. Killshot shakes hands with Phoenix. This is our first exposure to Killshot on a singles level, and the way Lucha Underground has been doing this with these initial exposure singles matches is these guys aren't used in a complete jobber capacity, but they're there to put over some other talent. And Killshot's job here in this match is to get some of his spots in and then ultimately go down to Phoenix. There's the show sportsmanship. They feel each other out. I didn't love that feel-out section. It just seemed a little slow-moving. They just didn't have good chemistry for the arm drags and the kip-ups and all of that sort of thing. At one point, there's a slapping sequence that reminds Matt Stryker of the strong style. I, I don't know what type of strong style Matt Stryker is looking at. Vampiro is into the Japanese look of Killshot and thinks it's fresh and cool that people are adopting the Japanese style. And I think it is. I, I think that UFC is as much a part of what wrestling is in 2015 as Lucho or Japanese wrestling or your archival wrestling your Memphis wrestling I think that has to be incorporated into the style and so those martial arts knee pads and the gloves and all of that sort of thing adds an element of realism and credibility and so I I agree with Vampiro on that point this match is more or less by the numbers you know we get our outside spots Phoenix does a nice little through the ropes Hurricane Rana to kill shot Killshot does a corkscrew tope to the outside, and then, and this is probably the most notable part of the match, or the thing that would make it different from other matches that we've seen in recent weeks, there was just a neat little finishing sequence in the corner, and both guys were trying to get their spot in one corner of the ring, and the fight and the rest of the match centered around who was going to ultimately get that corner spot. And it ends up being Phoenix, who is able to take advantage of a kill shot error and hit kill shot with the fire driver. Hey, remember Katrina? Yeah, I know. She's nowhere to be found in this match, and there's no plot advancement in this. So it's weird. We haven't seen Phoenix in a while. All of a sudden, he's here, and he gets a win. It's against Killshot. Still don't really know all that much about Killshot, other than he's a guy who will shake hands and have a decent and spirited, if not, you know, overwhelming match against Phoenix. And we don't know much about Phoenix, who was involved in a storyline against one of the strongest book characters in the promotion thus far, Mil Muertes, and it's like he's right back at square one. Phoenix, man, up the card, down the card, it, he rises and he falls. It, he's a weird character. I, I just, the lack of consistency continues to bother me with this character and where his story goes. And I'm sure next time we'll have Katrina and we'll have plot advancement, which would then beg the question, why did this happen? Or why wouldn't you use this match as a vehicle to do something or other? Following the match, we go backstage and we see Dario Cueto and he is with Drago, telling Drago that his match against Puma, he needs to not pull any punches because this thing is win or go home. And Drago has found a way to survive despite the odds against him in many situations. And just to recap a few of them, he was in a win or go home situation in match number four in his series against Aerostar, although you'd be forgiven if you forgot that because commentary didn't bother to mention it really during that matchup or play that up during that matchup he was in a must-win situation in match five in his series against Aerostar and he overcame that again faced with 
tougher odds. He doesn't change his character up at all. And the real issue with that best of five series was that there was zero growth for either the character of Aerostar or the character of Drago throughout this. It was as though the situations changed, but we still have this silent protagonist 90s RPG type character in Drago that is boring and hard to connect with. And what I would have much rather seen coming out of this or going into this match is Drago is perhaps being groomed to be Dario Cueto's pet dragon. And there's like a little bit of a hint of this in the sense that Dario Cueto says, you may not thank me now, but after you win the belt, you'll thank me. And theoretically, I guess if Drago won the belt, you could have told a story with Dario Cueto protecting Drago because he loves his dragon. But all things being equal, I'd much rather see the dragon from hell as Dario Cueto's henchman than, let's say, the crew. Especially if you booked said dragon from hell in a Pentagon Junior-ish type way, where he is destroying people, including the crew. None of that's going to happen, though, so we'll end my little round of fantasy baseball and move on to the next segment. Prince Puma is getting ready for his match against Drago, and Dario Cueto comes in and starts talking to Prince Puma basically giving him the same spiel that he just gave Drago. Look, this is a big deal situation. You know it. Dario Cueto likes combat. He likes intensity. He wants to see people get angry at each other. And this is his way of keying up Prince Puma, giving him a reason to fight hard. Prince Puma wants to hang out of the title. So at least that incentive's baked into the cake. What I really liked about this cutscene, though, is that we have effectively a second scene with Dario Cueto right on the other side of the lockers. So we see Prince Puma listening in as Dario Cueto is talking to Hernandez. Hernandez is upset that he's in a two-on-one match against King Cuerno and Cage, but Dario Cueto is happy to oblige Hernandez with the number one contender's opportunity for the winner of that match, ensuring that the match will be more of a triple threat match than a handicap match. Prince Puma is a little alarmed, and Hernandez is pleased that he has a chance to become the number one contender. So this will be interesting. Conan's camp has problems, and we'll see those develop. Back in the ring, we're getting set for a one-armed cripple fight between Ricky Mandel, Vinny Massaro, Arhenis, and Famous B, who is looking into the camera and says, he had a minor setback, but he's still here, baby. This fight gets underway. They're throwing punches and selling their arms. This lasts for about, let's say, 30 seconds before Tejano comes to the ring, destroys all four of the jobbers who are all one-armed, and so it makes sense that Tejano's able to cut through them like a hot knife through butter. And he grabs a microphone and says that he wants a piece of that guy who looks like Cesaro but isn't because it turns out that guy's kind of a jerk. Tejano bumped him accidentally, and then all of a sudden the guy who looks like Cesaro but isn't starts hitting him with wooden chairs and all that shit. What the hell? Outside the temple, Dario Cueto is on his cell phone talking to somebody we don't know who when Marty the Moth Martinez comes up and says that he wants his chance to fight inside the temple and that he loves Prince Puma and that he has Aztec blood running through his veins. So really, he's a perfect fit for Lucha Underground if you get right down to it. Dario Cueto says that, yeah, the temple's open to anyone, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's open to Marty the Moth Martinez. Something tells me that Marty's not going to take no for an answer, though. While there's some intrigue in a Cage and Hernandez pairing with me, and to a lesser extent, a Cuerno and Hernandez rivalry pairing, all three of these guys in the ring didn't do anything for me paired together, and this match for the number one contendership between Cage, Cuerno, and Hernandez was kind of boring. 
the heels worked together most of the time against Hernandez until one of them went for the cover and the other one would break it up, leading to dissension and tension between the heel team, which Hernandez was able to exploit. Later on in this match, Marty the Moth shows up in what is a comedy spot, more or less, except for the part where Marty's walking back into the back of the temple, and he seems like fuming mad at this. I don't know that the crowd really knew what was going on with this run-in, and I felt like it was out of place with the tone of Lucha Underground. This was so slapsticky in that groan I'm watching WWE sort of way and it's not a place that Lucha Underground has taken us thus far so I wasn't thrilled about this run-in either way the run-in allows Hernandez to take advantage of the situation kicking Cage to the outside and getting King Cuerno with the pinfall and now Hernandez the master of the who farted duck face is your new number one contender and we will see him up against Prince Puma or maybe Drago sometime in the not so distant future next we have an example of the type of humor I am familiar with with Lucha Underground and a very good execution of that type of humor in this Vampiro interview with the trios champs they still don't get along, newsflash. Son of Havoc's voice still sounds like it's run through a modulator to alter his identity to protect the innocent. And Angelico's character, what is it now? Before he was the guy who was trying to steal your girlfriend from you while you were having problems with her. Then he was the guy trying to sleep with your ex-girlfriend. Both of the same guy. They're both creepers. Now he's just kind of a normal guy and Son of Havoc doesn't really have a problem with him. And it doesn't matter if Ivelisse isn't his girlfriend anymore. Son of Havoc still should totally have a problem with Angelico. This is the guy who's trying to bone his girlfriend and then his ex-girlfriend. So that's kind of weird. I really, really, really enjoyed the section about the crossbody. Ivelisse going, you did a crossbody. It's the most basic move in professional wrestling. And Angelico going, I thought it was pretty cool. Instead of having going, I liked it. I thought that was great. That was really funny. It still makes me chuckle. That was good humor. I liked that a hell of a lot more than Mario the Moss kind of zaniness. But again, I'll hold off on judgment on Mario the Moth until we see that story develop out a little bit further. Let's talk about our main event. Look, if Dario Cueto hadn't been playing head games with Drago for damn near two months now, if this was just a match three months ago between Drago's character and Prince Puma's character where they were three months ago, this is a perfectly good match between those two characters. However... If you agree with my analysis on Drago's character, and you agree that after Dario Cueto playing repeated head games, and the Drago character even changing colors from green to red, that there should be some sort of accompanying character change going with that color change, then this match was a big disappointment. Because this match never went out of that friendly first gear. Drago is trying to shake hands with Prince Puma. Drago should have absolutely no fucking time for handshakes going into this match. Drago should be going into this match with a sense of urgency that is both existential and also deeply incentivizing because if he wins this match, he is the champion. He has achieved his goal here at Lucha Underground. If he loses this match, then he seemingly permanently, 
has failed at his goal here in Lucha Underground. The stakes simply could not be higher for Drago or any wrestler, for that matter, going into a match of this nature. And Drago's character and his performance throughout this match fails to capture that sense of urgency. And I'm very, very disappointed that booking didn't look at this a little bit tighter the agents of this match didn't look at this a little bit tighter and go no really drago you should be throwing them up against the outside guardrails throwing them up against the steel steps removing a turnbuckle pad doing whatever it takes to win even threatening conan drago should be unleashing that hell beast the guy changed from green to red for god's sake and he's advertised as being from el infierno i didn't do good in spanish but i know what that means Drago shakes hands with Prince Puma. There is a tope to the outside by Drago. Conan's mic'd up during this match, which is not so much interesting as it is Conan telling Prince Puma, you know what to do, Puma, you know what to do, a whole lot during this match. And then Puma starts getting high spots of his own. He does this really cool inside the ropes, outside the ropes, catching his ankles and toes on the top rope and using that to turn over for a corkscrew senton, not a corkscrew senton, a somersault senton onto Drago. That looks really cool. Puma does a great standing bow and arrow that he transitions into a slam and a cover. Look, Puma's offense is awesome. I'm never complaining when I'm seeing Puma on offense, except in this match when Drago should be mostly beating up Puma and doing everything he can to win Prince Puma's title, including multiple repeated covers. This is a guy who's a master of a pitting combination, and we never see the Dragon's Lair, and we never see Puma find a way out, which would have been really huge, and Stryker could have been putting over that moment big time. That doesn't happen, though. There is this neat move where Drago does a reverse corkscrew crossbody. I like that. What I liked even more is this cross-wing head scissors that looks like he's going for the Dragon's Lair pinfall combination, but instead it's just this crazy-looking head scissors paired with this half-Nelson type thing, and it's at this point that the crowd really bites, and they're getting behind Drago, which is good, but they don't really get behind Drago, and if they're not really going to get behind Drago, and Drago's the one leaving town, don't you want to make Puma the conquering hero and the guy who's able to withstand the onslaught of Dario Cueto's henchman, and this week's henchman is Drago? It doesn't make a lot of sense to build up emotional equity in Drago if we are going to be removing the character from circulation for a good long time. He might be back. He may not be back. It's not clear yet. My gut says that he will be back. But either way, shouldn't we be building equity in our champion? I don't know. That's not how this match is going to finish out. There is a really nice-looking fisherman hook back suplex that Puma does. Drago does a kick, a knee, and a hurricane rana. That is stiff and looks awesome. Then there is... Kicks exchanged into a Prince Puma Blue Thunderbomb. This is a good match. This is a really good match. It just fails to capture the essence of the storyline. There are a lot of great spots into this. Prince Puma does this really cool fisherman's hook back suplex that I liked a lot. Drago had this awesome kick, knee, and Hurricane Rana combination that just looked great. Kicks are exchanged into a Prince Puma Blue Thunderbomb. 
And then eventually, there's a fireman's carry, a standing fireman's carry, a la the attitude adjustment, but it leads into a ref bump of our referee, and that leads to Drago getting what I refer to as the Mexican-Canadian destroyer for a 5-plus count pinfall. This is a visual pinfall that people are counting out loud. Out comes our new number one contender and the master of the who farted duck face himself, Hernandez, and he gets into the ring. Prince Puma is standing dead center in the ring, and behind him, squared up with a turnbuckle, is Drago. And Hernandez goes to run at Drago, or maybe Prince Puma, we don't know who. And Puma gets out of the way, hitting Drago. Hernandez looks at Drago like, man, what are you doing in my way like this? Even though Hernandez totally would have seen Drago when he was lining up Prince Puma. I mean, it's just impossible that he didn't. I know I'm nitpicking. Let's get to the thing that is not a nitpick, but is legitimate beef. This leads to Prince Puma doing a total heel move and taking advantage of the situation after being coaxed by Conan to do so and Prince Puma does so with reservations and Prince Puma is still a good guy and he very much needs to retain his title. I have no problem with him still wanting to win this match. I have a problem with Drago's reaction to the situation and the resolution of this match. So Prince Puma hits Drago with a fire driver. And then at the end of the match, Prince Puma gets Drago up and is honoring and celebrating Drago and the worthy competitor and the noble adversary that Drago was. And Drago is okay with the outcome of this match. Why is Drago okay with the outcome of this match? What part of the outcome of this match is would Drago be okay with? The part where he got a pinfall on Prince Puma and there wasn't a ref there to count it due to just flukiness? Or was it the part where Hernandez came in and hit Drago for no fucking reason? Or was it the part when Prince Puma was able to take advantage of that situation and score a pinfall on Drago when he was in control of the match and won the match moments ago? Drago should be absolutely livid. He shouldn't want to shake hands with Prince Puma. He sure as fuck shouldn't want to shake hands with Conan, who was encouraging Prince Puma to take advantage of the situation, and he should want the head of Hernandez. He should be upset that he has lost his career because of this interference from Hernandez and because of an unfair stipulation from Dario Cueto. He should be upset that he didn't win the Lucha Underground title, that he was moments away from winning, and if a ref had been there, he would have won it off of that Mexican-Canadian destroyer. There's all sorts of reasons reasons, Drago should have been absolutely upset, and as frustrated as I was with the handshake at the beginning of this match, there is no fucking reason why Prince Puma and Drago should be shaking hands right now. I get it. Lucha Underground wanted to deliver for us a feel-good moment, a sentimental moment, where we say goodbye to our old friend Drago, but... The cost of doing that is that we didn't get a novel and interesting new challenger for Prince Puma. Prince Puma has been facing powerful heels who are monsters who don't give a fuck about tradition, hunters who are savvy and cagey and getting into your head, different adversaries all over the place, but he is yet to face a good guy who has been pushed to the breaking point, who is working on desperation. Drago offered the opportunity for Prince Puma to be facing a babyface who is being forced to do heel things, and instead of delivering that storyline to us, Lucha Underground instead opted to give us this sort of feel-good send-off for Drago. 
Now, after the match, Drago goes out back. He sees Dario Cueto. Dario Cueto says, you failed. There's no mention of the fact that Hernandez cost him the match. It's really stupid. Apparently, that just doesn't bother Drago, even though the fucker cost him his career. And then Drago walks through a curtain, bursts into a cloud of flames, and as best we can tell, turns into a fucking dragon. And you know what? That was probably the best part of this match. The part where Drago turned into a fucking dragon. Dario Cueto is in his office booking the May 6th episode of Lucha Underground when all of a sudden Johnny Mundo and Alberto El Patron walk in and interrupt Dario Cueto's paper and tape session that he's having. Mundo and Alberto can't agree who should get a title shot first. As you might imagine, Mundo thinks it should be him. And Alberto El Patron thinks that Johnny Mundo has had his shot at Prince Puma and it's about time that Alberto El Patron gets a shot at Prince Puma. Dario Cueto has a little problem here. Hernandez is his number one contender. That's okay, because Johnny Mundo and Alberto El Patron both agree that they are more qualified than, as Mundo calls him, Fernandez. So, what Dario Cueto says is that they're going to have a match tonight, and the winner of the match between Alberto El Patron and Johnny Mundo is going to go on to face Fernandez, Hernandez, whatever you want to call him, next week for the number one contendership. Our first match is Son of Havoc and Angelico versus Cortez Castro and Mr. Cisco. This is to set up the eventual trios match between the champions and the crew. Son of Havoc starts the match against Cortez Castro. He hits him with a Japanese arm drag. He kips up. He does a little bit of flashiness. Angelico gets a blind tag and tags himself in. I want to stop right here because the whole story of this match that Stryker sells at the end of the match is that there's a lot of discord between Son of Havoc and Angelico. And it didn't really happen so much in this match other than this blind tag. And you can argue the end spot, but Angelico was totally wiped out going into that end spot. And so when Son of Havoc blind tags himself in there, it's understandable. So let's continue on. Angelico gets in, he kicks Cortez Castro, Mr. Cisco comes in, and then eventually Son of Havoc gets back in, he does a move that I call the whip, trip, and flip, and in this case the flip is a moonsault, he goes to do that on Mr. Cisco. he gets countered, Angelico gets the hot tag, he comes in, he does a spinning knee, he gets Cortez Castro up for the fall of the Angels, but that's reversed, there is a sunset flip that gets countered, by Angelico and turned into a double stomp on Cortez Castro. And Mr. Cisco, then he fucks up the low bridge. So he's running at Angelico, and Angelico pulls down the top rope, clearly doing the classic, like, time-honored low bridge spot. Somehow Mr. Cisco finds his way through the middle rope, which, when you're thinking about a low bridge spot, is actually much harder to do because now the top rope has gotten closer to the middle rope. Anyways, Mr. Cisco, his work's been a little shaky on these last few episodes. Son of Havoc does a moonsault uh, off of the ropes onto Cortez Castro. Angelico does a flashy running senton from the ring onto Bale and Cortez Castro. There's a big knee to Mr. Cisco by Angelico for the near fall. And then the crew's able to take advantage on Angelico. They start peppering up Angelico. He looks wiped out. He stumbles his way back into the corner, 
falls out of the ring. Son of Havoc tags himself in. I guess if you want to say that he didn't keep his partner standing in ringside, that's fair. Son of Havoc having a little bit of a laugh, and that's actually the way Stryker plays it up on commentary. He does a springboard double splash on the crew, but then Bale comes up, giving a distraction, allowing... Cortez Castro and Mr. Cisco to hit the flapjack codebreaker and get a more or less clean victory. Son of Havoc didn't need to get distracted by Bale, although the ref was distracted, so I guess it would have given the two heels the advantage anyways. Point being, not that much discord was being sowed among our champions, but Stryker's playing it up here at the end of the match. And that's fine if that's the story they want to tell. It just maybe could have been reflected a little bit more in the ring in this match. Dario Cueto is speaking to the man who looks like Cesaro but isn't, saying that his family owns half of Boyle Heights and he can't really understand why this guy would want to fight here at Lucha Underground. The man who looks like Cesaro but isn't stops playing with his cell phone, which may or may not be an important plot detail going forward. I was kind of wondering about that. And he tells Dario Cueto that while Dario Cueto likes watching violence, he, the golden boy, likes inflicting it. Hernandez, Conan, and Puma are fighting in the locker room over the outcome of last week's match when Dario Cueto interrupts, saying that while he'd love to see Hernandez and Prince Puma fight, first, Hernandez is going to have to face the winner of Alberto El Patron and Johnny Mundo, and this week he really hopes that they can put differences aside because Prince Puma and Hernandez are going to be having a tag team match against King Cuerno and Cage. The man who looks like Cesaro but isn't is standing in the ring, and he is introduced as the Golden Warrior, Delavar Davari. I was kind of expecting a bigger reveal or maybe a promo for this character or something, but maybe this guy's promo is not so hot and they didn't want to overexpose him. I don't know. He's set to have a match against Tejano. This match never really gets started because Tejano just runs down to the ring, house of fire, and starts beating up Davari and gets himself disqualified when he throws off the official. What's interesting and what I think is moving Tejano closer to our de facto babyface and Delavar Davari closer to our heel character is that Delvar Davari grabs a microphone and hits Tejano and runs away from Tejano. Tejano's standing tall in the middle of the ring. He wants to fight. Davari, on the other hand, he's on his bicycle and he's getting the hell out of there. Next, we have Cage and King Cuerno versus Hernandez and Prince Puma. Hernandez and Cage start off the match and eventually Puma and King Cuerno face off. Cage does a 619. Stryker refers to this saying that normally someone else dials up that number. Prince Puma hits a blue thunder bomb on King Cuerno. Hernandez does a gorilla press slam, throwing King Cuerno onto Cage on the outside and then runs and does his big over-the-top ropes, suicide dive, plancha. I guess it's more of a plancha than a suicide dive. He's then showboating, and that stops Prince Puma from doing a spot to the outside. And this really illustrates our dissension. There's a little bit of dissent earlier with the tags. Puma is the more standoffish one of the two earlier on. I think that's kind of an interesting little twist. Hernandez is trying to play it cool, and Puma's really the guy more on edge, which is interesting. We don't normally see much of any sort of emotion from Prince Puma, or he just gets that big bug-eyed look that he seems to like to do. We have further dissent when King Cuerno is in a corner and Hernandez and Prince Puma can't decide who is going to go first to avalanche King Cuerno in the corner. Eventually they get on the same page, culminating in Prince Puma getting whipped into the corner by Hernandez. However, then Hernandez and Prince Puma find themselves on the outside and King Cuerno is going for the arrow 
And Hernandez pushes Prince Puma in front of King Cuerno, which is our first tease of heelishness. Then Hernandez goes to pick up Prince Puma. Prince Puma pushes Hernandez off, which is understandable, but for Hernandez is the last straw, leading Hernandez to kick Prince Puma and then perform the razor's edge or the fall of the angels, whatever you want to call it, the crucifix, onto the apron of the ring, wiping out Prince Puma. Conan notices this. Tells Hernandez more or less that he's fucked up. However, Prince Puma gets rolled into the ring. Cage puts his non-existent joint out on Prince Puma's back and then hits him with Weapon X for the win. This is pretty much what you expected. You knew at some point Hernandez was going to turn heel. For me, this is a little early for Hernandez to go heel. I think this could have lasted one more week and wouldn't have been hurt by Prince Puma moving a little bit further into the Shades of Grey paranoid area. I like that twist in his character, especially for a guy who doesn't say much. Actually, he doesn't say anything. Who am I kidding? Black Lotus is training with El Dragon Azteca. She thinks she's ready and she wants to leave. This is kind of like the Yoda and Luke thing from Empire Strikes Back. And then El Dragon Azteca in his Yoda role shows her that she is not quite ready yet to leave. Our main event between Alberto El Patron and Johnny Mundo is a good one. And if you had to pick just one match from these two episodes to watch, it is such a no-brainer. You're watching this match. My only knock on this match is not the outcome. It's just a little thing in the booking. It's a little quibble, which is that I felt like, particularly since Alberto El Patron is going to go over in this match, Johnny Mundo could have had a little bit more control in the match, this is mostly an Alberto El Patron control section style match, and he was actually kind of over as the face, but working ever so slightly as the heel because he's more of the submission specialist and less of the high flyer and a little bit more aggressive with his kicks and all of that. That said, this match was awesome because Johnny Mundo and Alberto El Patron go out and have a very good match, but clearly leave some for another day. So there's plenty of intrigue and plenty of reason to revisit this matchup at some point, and I'm looking forward to the next match really really great match let's get into this so there's a feeling out section between Alberto El Patron and Johnny Mundo eventually Alberto El Patron gets control putting Johnny Mundo in the corner hitting him with a stiff kick and then throwing him down getting a drop kick to his head Johnny Mundo gets caught in the apron and he's going outside for a plancha and this allows Alberto El Patron to hit an enziguri roll Johnny Mundo back in and he puts Johnny Mundo in a rest hold this is our first rest hold and then comes after the first cover attempt Alberto El Patron misses a moonsault and this allows Johnny Mundo to take over for a little while Johnny gets dumped outside and when he gets dumped outside he cracks the stairs I can't tell if that was intentional or not commentary does a good job playing it up as if it was Alberto El Patron is able to get a suicide dive there's a tilt the world backbreaker to Johnny Mundo Mundo hits a twisting plancha to the outside at one point till Alberto El Patron Mundo pushes Alberto and Patron into the apron pushes him into the guardrail there's not a lot of Johnny Mundo in this match It's all El Patron, mostly, even as I'm writing down these spots and kind of running through them. And I am running through these fairly fast because, really, if you want to see this match or if you want the recap of this match, you probably should just go and see this match. Alberto El Patron gets Mundo caught when Mundo goes to the top rope and is able to hit a reverse suplex, which pops this crowd as well it should. And what was great about this match is the crowd got really into it and it was just a good, pure singles match. 
No flashy bells and whistles, no steel chair shots, nobody doing anything totally bonkers, just having a good competitive match that you could get into the ebbs and flows of, and that allowed the audience to get into the ebbs and flows of this match, and made for just a very, very pleasurable viewing experience. After the reverse suplex, Alberto Alpatron, he gets up, and now he is looking for the cross arm breaker. Mundo is able to stop Alberto El Patron from getting the cross arm breaker on and is able to get the fin del mundo on Alberto El Patron, but Alberto El Patron is able to grab the bottom rope, allowing for the break. Next, eventually Alberto El Patron is able to snap the cross arm breaker on Johnny Mundo in the center of the ring. Mundo guts it out and is able to get to the ropes himself. Alberto El Patron gets up, starts delivering some kicks to the arm, and ties Johnny Mundo up in a tree of woe. Mundo evades a shoulder tackle from Alberto El Patron, and when Alberto El Patron hits the steel ring post, Mundo gets up into the top ropes and hits Alberto El Patron with a double stomp. After that, there is a cross arm breaker to the arm attempt. There are counters and reversals, and this leads into a quick but impressive looking super kick from Alberto El Patron, which allows Alberto El Patron to get the win, not on his finisher, just on a spur of the moment super kick that caught Johnny Mundo for three seconds. I love the finish of this match. I liked this match a lot. This was incredibly enjoyable and as the crowd said this is wrestling this to me is what a good wrestling match is and gets my seal of approval for whatever that's worth after the match we go and we see Katrina and she is awakening Mil Muertes and something we missed a chapter in this storyline somewhere what the fuck is Phoenix's role in this storyline all right so now you're all caught up on the last two episodes and you're ready to go for tonight's episode of Lucha Underground I want to send out some warmth and well wishes to my friend and my cat, Mr. Chesterfield, who, during the taping of this episode, caused me to have to stop taping so that I could take him to the vet because my cat decided to eat about 10 of my hair ties. I'm a uh, dirty long hair hippie, and I have hair ties, and my cat ate them. I like him very much, and I would like him to get healthy again. I like you all very much, and would like you all to stay healthy. Feel free to extend the same warmth to me on Twitter, at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. Hey, if you like this show, or if you like some of the better shows in the Voice of Wrestling Network, like The Big Show, or The Flagship Show, go to iTunes and leave a review. You'd be helping all of us in a rising tide lifts all the ships, or something like that. I don't really know. Anyways, it'd be much appreciated, much like your ear is appreciated every episode. Until the next one, cheers. Grand Canyon University is Arizona's premier private Christian university committed to providing next-generation education. GCU offers over 200 academic programs, many in high-demand fields across nine colleges. We keep our rigorous curriculum relevant by partnering with industry leaders and advisory boards. Earn your degree online, in the evening, or on our vibrant Phoenix campus. Find your purpose at GCU, where advanced technologies drive education. Private, Christian, affordable, nonprofit. Visit gcu.edu. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.